The Nonprofit Hour, a weekly look at Portland's nonprofits and do-gooders, with interviews, profiles, and documentaries. It's the Nonprofit Hour, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change from the studios of X-Ray FM. I'm Anne Kirkpatrick. Coming up on today's Nonprofit Hour, Jeff Hawthorne of the Regional Arts and Culture Council. You know, some people really love it, some people don't care for it so much, and that's the nature of public art. Then, we revisit one of our favorite interviews from earlier this year with Jean McDonald of the App Camp for Girls. Just like in Rock Camp, you played with your band at the Baghdad or Alberta Rose Theater, we say, like, your app is, is on your iPhone now. But first, some nonprofit news. The Oregon Public House, well known as the first nonprofit pub, is looking to expand its operations for brewing its own beer. They're hoping to purchase a new 20 barrel fermenter and 24 kegs for the purpose of expanding their profits, 100% of which go to partnered charities. Find the link to their Kickstarter on Twitter. Their handle is at Oregon Pub House. Oregon Walks is looking for a fund development intern to help support grant writing and other fundraising. Oregon Walks is a pedestrian advocacy organization that promotes the activity of walking all over the state of Oregon. Internship applications are due on Tuesday, May 5th. For more information, contact noel at oregonwalks.org. Congratulations to the App Camp for Girls who just released an app for iOS. The app is called the Quiz Compendium, and it brings together the quiz apps that campers design and build during their time at App Camp. In honor of this exciting news, we'll be revisiting our interview with Jean McDonald, founder of the App Camp for Girls, later in the show. If you have some news from your nonprofit that you'd like to share during the nonprofit hour, let me know at ann.kirkpatrick at xray.fm or tweet at us at nonprofit hour. Now we turn to our host, Phil Bussey. This is Phil Bussey, and it is the Meaty Institute for Social Change's Nonprofit Hour. We have something a little bit different this morning. Uh, normally, we bring in people who are running, managing nonprofits. This morning, we have Jeff Hawthorne with the Regional Arts and Culture Council, and which, which is, is uh, part of the larger ecosystem of nonprofits. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And so is is it is it fair to call the Regional Arts and Culture Council and I'll stop saying that and I'll start saying RAC. Yes. Is it is it fair to call RAC uh is it a funder, a support system, a parental system? How how does it fit into the uh, the ecosystem of nonprofits in Portland. Yeah, RAC is is definitely a funder. And once upon a time, that was one of the only things that we did in our mission to really cultivate a strong arts and culture community and to support the artists who live here. So we've moved beyond being just a funder. Um, we also, um, for many years, have... Um, commissioned and maintained the public art collection in the city of Portland and Multnomah County, but we're also increasingly involved in um, doing whatever it takes to create an environment where artists and arts organizations and creatives can can make a living, can contribute to the community. So doing more in the area of technical assistance, um, forging collaborations with other community partners to address community issues through the arts, um, 
to advocate for arts funding at the public and private uh, sector and uh, increasingly playing a role in uh, restoring arts education back in our public schools. Before this, uh, you were very involved in the arts and, and, and you were uh, uh, involved in theater. Yeah, my background is theater. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was one of these kids who um, learned to read and spell uh, very early uh, at four years old, um, thanks to Sesame Street and kind of other creativity things that were important to my family at the time. But I got bored in school and I had a difficult time in, in middle school. So thank goodness by the time high school ro- rolled around that I found theater and it was something that I was very good at, that I really enjoyed, that really helped keep me in school. So so that was my passion um, in school and um, I, pers- I pursued theater um, for quite some time after that, not as an actor or a director um, or a designer, but I, I found actually arts administration of all things um, and went to the University of Portland, which has a wonderful um, theater administration program. Um, worked for several years at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in Ashland, um, and then Portland Center Stage when when Ashland was establishing that company here, which is now fully independent. So, um, but now it's really great to be working for an organization that supports not only performing artists and theaters, but um, all all kinds of artists and all kinds of arts organizations in our community. And and what are there other advantages? So the, the advantage of being. Uh, somewhat more independent from the city mm-hmm. uh, of being a 501c3 uh, there's financial advantages are there other advantages that come along uh, with with rack being uh, its own nonprofit we see lots of advantages just at the administrative level I mean we're obviously free to be much more entrepreneurial um, in how we uh, build a relationship, how we establish a contract with an artist, how quickly we can pay an artist. I mean, being freed of some of the bureaucracies that exist with, within government enable us to do our work more expediently, more entrepreneurially. Um, and, and also just um, in terms of private sector fundraising, I think that's one of the greatest advantages of being an independent uh, nonprofit is that we really can go out and raise money on behalf of the arts community and then grant it out to them. Um, if we were a government agency, people wouldn't be able to get a tax deduction for making a contribution to us, but they can when they donate to RAC. Absolutely. And that's, that's, and, and I imagine uh, our people are fairly generous in Portland about the arts. Increasingly so. I mean, you've probably heard lots of stories about some of the lack of philanthropic uh, tradition in Portland and in the Pacific Northwest compared to our peers um, in New England, for example. But um, Portland is a place where the community knows and appreciates um, the, the creative community here and how critical it is uh, to have artists and arts organizations, healthy arts organizations, in this community. And I I think the community, when asked to support um, that sector, um, we we find that they are very generous. How unique is RAC compared to other cities? Almost every urban center has a local arts agency of some sort. There is, for example, a local arts agency that serves Vancouver and Clark County. 
um, but they do not receive very much money. So uh, it's driven largely on volunteers, and they're able to run a few programs that do help the artists in that organ in that community. So in Portland, what is different is the fact that the city of Portland has traditionally invested very, very well in its artists um, and in its arts agency, which is now RAC. Um, it has had the, uh, it has shown the foresight to go out and ask the citizens if they'd be willing to tax themselves to increase the amount of arts education in our schools and to increase the amount of public support that goes to arts organizations. So that's the Arts Education and Access Fund, or the arts tax. Um, and I'd say the third thing that's unique about Portland's local arts agency is that we fund individual artists. Mm -hmm. um, many communities do, but most local arts agencies, if they do provide any funding at all, they're really only funding nonprofit organizations. So we're really proud to have several grant-making programs and technical assistance programs that serve the individual artists who live here. You know, and, and, and Jeff, one of the things that we do on the Nonprofit Hours is, is we have our guest uh, do a little DJing for us. And it seems like that, what you were just talking about with RAC funding some individual artists, that's a great lead-in. Uh, for one of the songs, because Rack has funded uh, a fair number of musicians. We have. We fund all disciplines, all manner of artists, and um, every year there are a number of extraordinary musicians who apply to us for projects that we are only too happy to fund. Uh, do you have a song from one of those artists we could play? I do. Um, one of the artists we have funded recently is Holcomb Waller. So here's one of his songs. Great. Like a vision she stepped out And all the fear that fed his doubt Just surrendered to the hour The bridesmaids and the flowers The promises they made Before the gathered here today Well, I crept through the reception Like a child freshly scorned I caught up with all Thought I could have cried, but all my ghosts laid down and died. This is Phil Bussey. Uh, it's the Media Institute for Social Changes, the Nonprofit Hour. We are so pleased to have Jeff Hawthorne in the studio with us. Jeff is with Regional Arts and Culture Council, best known as RAC. RAC. Uh, that was just. Holcomb Waller, who was one of the artists who has been funded uh, through through RAC grants, and 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 Jeff, you're the director of co uh, community engagement. That's right. And and that would sound like that's part of your role is to uh, uh, to to keep uh, the general public aware of of the importance of of arts. How how do you go about doing that? Like, how do you get that message out? Yes, yeah, some of it's very targeted. Um, one of my responsibilities is to raise money from the private sector, uh, as well as all of our public partners for the work that we do. So, you know, a fair amount of my work is targeted to having conversations with people who can provide the resources that we need in order to support 
the creative community here. But increasingly, um, we do want to play a role in um, advocating to the community at large um, what is the importance of the arts community here and how can you all support them. So that's why um, nine and a half years ago we started a workplace giving program, for example, a way to talk to um, tens of thousands of people in companies all across the region, um, go in, speak with their employees about the importance of the arts organizations who are here, bring artists with us to show um, how powerful a piece of music or a, a painting can be, um, to talk about how the arts intersect with other aspects and other community interests, such as graduation rates, health care, juvenile delinquency, um, how arts can be uh, tools for solving some of those community problems. And then we ask for a payroll deduction contribution. So that's a program that raised uh, $760,000 last year, uh, mostly just through grassroots gifts of $60 here and $100 there. Um, and next year, because it will be the 10th anniversary of Work for Art, uh, we're going to try to raise a million dollars. And then 100% of that money, every dollar, goes back out uh, to the arts community that we serve as grants from the Regional Arts and Culture Council. So that's one example of a way that we can not only get the message out about how important our arts community is, but to raise money on their behalf. And 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 uh, can you give me just, you know, can you give me a 30-second pitch? Um, think, think of me if I was, you know... As, sure stubborn uh, 50 year old business owner uh, that you're trying to convince the importance of the arts to to Portland uh, what's your best pitch on that well I don't know if it's my best pitch but one of the <laughs> things we, we like to say is that um, most Portlanders um, really do participate in the arts um, and are enjoying the art museum and Portland Center Stage and Miracle Theater and Ride Around Portland and, and all of these wonderful eclectic arts organizations. But, but even if you never step foot in the Opera House or in your local theater company, um, we think that you will recognize the value of having these creative small businesses in your community because they contribute to the creativity of your own workforce. Uh, they contribute to the economy. Um, these arts organizations employ more than 19,000 people combined who all pay taxes, who support our school systems and our other public services. So um, it's really clear that the arts, uh, the nonprofit arts community is a very important sector, not only for the arts services they provide, but for the way that they benefit our community and our economy. That is Jeff Hawthorne. He is the Director of Community Engagement for RAC. And this is Phil Bussey with the Media Institute for Social Changes Nonprofit Hour. Jeff, we're going to go to another music break. Do you have another artist, perhaps, that, that RAC has... That, that Rack has, has funded or supported in the past? Yeah, let's hear something from Alicia Joe Robbins. Excellent.
This is Phil Bussey. It's the Media Institute for Social Change at the Nonprofit Hour. I am in the studio with Jeff Hawthorne from RAC, the Regional Arts and Culture Council, uh, a really a dynamic nonprofit uh, that, that, that uh, you moved out of the nest, so to speak, of, uh, about almost 20 years ago. Yes, uh, it's our 20th anniversary this year. That congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, and and uh, uh, you're apparent in so many ways. Uh, I mean, certainly RAC is responsible in some regard, if not, uh, correct me, maybe all for the public art. Uh, there's the new, uh, is, is it on the Burnside or the Hawthorne Bridge? The sort of, it looks like a square birdcage. Yeah, yeah. That's a controversial piece of public art right there. Why, why is it controversial? Well, it's it's large. And uh, this is a piece called Inversion Plus Minus, which was just installed uh, a year ago. Um, as funded by the expansion of the East Side Streetcar. And the way public art works is anytime there's a publicly funded capital construction project, they set aside 2% of the cost of that project for the Regional Arts and Culture Council to commission and create and install this public artwork. So that particular sculpture has has gotten um, more comments um, than most, just because, in part, it's, it's a very large-scale piece of artwork, which... Um, most of the things you see in the city of Portland are much smaller than that. Um, you know, life-size statues and often smaller works. That's a monumental, I think it's three or four stories tall. Um, so it's noticed more than a lot of pieces. And it's um, designed to kind of emulate uh, the feeling of the ghosts of warehouses um, past and the structure of old buildings that lived in the inner southeast side. Um, so by design, it's this lattice work of steel, rusted steel, um, which to some people just looks like an incompleted construction project. Um, so, you know, some people really love it. Some people don't care for it so much. And that's the nature of public art. I think it's fantastic. I'm glad you like it. And another thing that some people don't know about that piece is it's actually two separate pieces, one at the Morrison and one at the Hawthorne. So one of them, the ghost is, you know, the shape of the building itself. And then the other site, it's the negative space. So they build the lattice piece around where the building would be, leaving this empty space in the middle that is the shape of a building. I'm liking it more and more. It's pretty cool. Uh, do you have a favorite uh, piece of public art that's out there? Um, that's one of them. I also like, I'm really fond of a new piece um, that was also funded by the streetcar. It uh, was designed by Jorge Pardo. Um, it's a streetcar shelter um, just north of the Rose Quarter. And it's this really colorful, multifaceted, um, it's got orange and red and yellow hues. Um, and it's just this really beautiful, um, interesting shape for a streetcar shelter. And it's very artistic. So when you're coming across the, uh, the Broadway Bridge, when you're going east, uh, you see this piece that is picks up on some of the colors of the Broadway Bridge, but also these other bright and cheery colors that help bring, I think, a little sun and color into people's lives on a rainy day. I want to talk a little bit, Jeff, about, and, and I know you're the director of, uh, of community engagement and maybe aren't part of this process, but what is the process for uh, deciding what pieces are, who is commissioned? There's, there's a process and certain taste 
dictate than than what gets out there. How how yeah. does that work? How does that work? Yeah, I mean, you're right. Art art can be such a subjective thing. So the best way we have found to approach this question is. Um, when there is a project and we know um, how much money we have and, and the, the site for this project, um, we will convene a panel of community volunteers. Um, so it could be anywhere from 5 to 12 people who represent the neighborhood, who represent the project that is being constructed, who represent uh, local businesses in the area, um, citizens. We always make sure that we have a few artists who understand um, the complexities of incorporating, you know, metal into a sidewalk or uh, paints and how they weather over the years in in Portland. So we we try to just assemble a team of people who can then um, put out a call and let the arts community know that we have X amount of dollars for a project that is meant to achieve these goals. Um, and we, we mull through all of the proposals we receive. And typically, um, we'll come up with a few finalists and then ask those artists to kind of really refine those concepts and then do a big presentation uh, to the Public Art Advisory Committee that says, my proposal for this project it looks like this and will stand the test of time uh, because of these reasons or my experience um, will demonstrate that, that this is a piece of public artwork that, that can um, be out in the right of way for a long period of time. And um, ultimately, they'll just make a selection based on aesthetics, confidence in the artist, um, and, and taking all of the community's uh, interests into consideration. Uh, and and because I am I am sometimes uh, behave like a seventy five year old retiree and love walking tours. Is there is there a walking tour? Is there a map that has uh, all of these these rack funded public art pieces uh, available? There are um, most of the walking tours that are done by the organizations that are based downtown that do walking tours include a fair amount of of stops at Public Artworks downtown. Uh, Rack and Travel Portland produce a public art walking tour brochure that will show you within the central city, so everything maybe from the convention center on the east side and this inversion plus minus artwork that you and I were talking about earlier, and certainly everything downtown um, and in the near and west side. Those are all plotted on a map so that you can um, kind of set your own walking tour of the pieces you want to see. And then we also have created an app, which unfortunately is only available for iPhones, but it's a really good app um, that you can pop up on your phone um, and and get more information about a piece of artwork that you may be standing in front of um, right then and there and want more information about, and it will plot other public artworks that are near you. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. There, there's an app for that. Public Art PDX. This is Phil Bussey. It's the Nonprofit Hour. I'm speaking with Jeff Hawthorne from Rack, and and it's really amazing, Jeff. I mean, just just visually, what Rack has contributed to the to the city, uh, as well as as throughout. And and when we come back from this next song break, I want to talk about some of the impact uh, Rack has had on uh, education and the importance of that. But let's let's do go to another one of uh, Rack's funded uh, musicians. Great. Yeah. Another. Um musician that we have funded recently is uh, the great Ben Darwish.
This is the uh, Media Institute for Social Changes Nonprofit Hour. That was Ben Darwish. Yes. And he has received funding from the Regional Arts and Culture Council. I'm talking with their, their Director of Community Engagement, Jeff Hawthorne, and this is Phil Bussey. Uh, before we went to our music break, we, we were talking about some of the, the visual pieces that are around town. Uh, Jeff, what again, there's an, there's an app if people have iPhones that they can download and it, and it has some maps and can get them around. What, what was that again? Uh, Public Art PDX. Excellent. And, and, and throughout the show, we've been playing uh, musicians who have received individual grants because you have both organizational right. and uh, individual or artist grants. Uh, one of the other things that that RAC certainly does is uh, help support art education in uh, in Portland public schools. Actually, in the entire region, so okay. Clackamas, Multnomah, and Washington County. And and I mean, let's just start with like the the beginning question: Why? Why? Why is that? Why is that important? Well, um, we know that. The average person, 95% of the people actually know that arts education is critical to our children's education. And Phil, when you and I were growing up, uh, we probably had a lot of great arts education and music teachers in our schools. Um, But in Portland, in the last 20 years, um, the amount of arts education that our kids were receiving has been drastically reduced. And so about 10 years ago, uh, we started uh, having community meetings to decide what RAC could do about it. And of course, the biggest thing is funding. Um, and at the time, we didn't know how we could necessarily uh, come up with the funding to restore all of our art and music teachers that had been cut. But what we did hit on was that RAC could do a better job of leveraging the arts community itself to provide some arts education uh, for our public schools. And what we didn't want to happen was just to kind of create these one-off, you know, fly-by arts experiences, but rather really integrate the idea of arts education into classroom learning. And so what we came up with is an initiative called the Right Brain Initiative that strategically pairs uh, K through five classroom teachers with artists in the community so that they can co-design some lesson plans and some experiences that use the arts and use that artist to teach other standard subjects like history, like social studies, like science, math, and reading. And what we're finding as a result is that, uh, no surprise really, uh, students learn more when they have uh, music 
and dance and theater and visual art experiences to help them learn that content as opposed to just having to read in a book, take a test, hear a lecture. Um, this idea of infusing the arts into the standard curriculum is really proving to help students learn. I just want to, we're, we're, we're wrapping up our conversation with Jeff Hawthorne, the Director of Community Engagement for the Regional Arts and Culture Council. And, and it, must be, it must be really fun to uh, have an overview of all the great arts that's, that's going on around town. And, and uh, are you ever overwhelmed in terms of what to go out and do? Or, 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 you know, or even are you, are you that person that's like, oh, this, it's my job to be around arts and that once the weekend rolls around, the last thing you wanted to go out and do is go to theater or see a band? Well, it's not ever the last thing I want to do, but it is true that you could get um, overwhelmed if you felt that you had to see it all. But you just have to let that go. You, you have to, or what I have found works for me is is to go to the things I enjoy. And, you know, there are some things that I make a point of of going to see. Um, because I come from a theater background, I have a lot of friends in the business, and so I tend to see a lot of theatrical productions around town. But you also hear of wonderful things or get invited um, spontaneously to events, um, and those things are wonderful too. Um, but I also like to attend other things. It's not arts and culture all the time. It's a blazer game or a timber game or a, or a, or a bike ride or any number of things that uh, are part of what's so great about living in Portland. Jeff Hawthorne, thank you so much for, for being with us. And thank you for RAC, that everything that the Regional Arts and Culture Council does to, I mean, to make Portland a little bit more Portlandia, uh, to, you know, to have the visual arts that's out there to sponsor the the uh, individual musicians and some who we've heard uh, in today's nonprofit hour and, and, and just then supporting them, the arts organizations. And you have one more song to take us out? Yeah, we thought it would be fun to uh, just play a little something by Cindy Lauper about how money changes everything. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much. Jeff Hawthorne uh, with the Regional Arts and Culture Council. And this has been Phil Bussey for the Media Institute for Social Changes, Nonprofit Hour. Listening to the Nonprofit Hour, brought to you by the Media Institute for Social Change and produced in the studios of X-Ray FM. The App Camp for Girls has some exciting news this week. They've just released an app for folks to purchase and download to their Apple device. The app is called Quiz Compendium, and at the time of this recording, it's the number one paid app in the entertainment category. The app brings together campus projects from years past. These projects are short, funny quizzes that help you determine things like what coffee drink you are or what secret superpower you have. I tried out the app myself and learned I'm a cinnamon mocha with shape-shifting powers. 
For the rest of the show, we're going to take a look back at our interview with Jean McDonald, the founder of the App Camp for Girls, which was featured on the show back in March in honor of Women's History Month. This is Phil Bussey, and it's the Nonprofit Hour. You know, we're going to do something different. We're going to start with a song before our interview, and all of that will make sense once we come out of the song. The song is was recorded at the Rock and Roll Camp for for girls, and this was a song by Ruby Calling called Some Days. We'll be right back after the song with our first guest for the Nonprofit Hour. Bussy, it's the Nonprofit Hour. That was a band called Ruby Calling, and they formed at the Rock and Roll Camp for Girls, and that was their song called Some Days. Our guest, Gene McDonald, who runs the App Camp for Girls, recorded that song at the Rock and Roll Camp for Girls. Uh, Gene, thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me. And, and so explain the story. How, how did that song come about? And, and then somehow that swerves into how the app camp for girls came about. Uh, in 2008, one of my good friends, Aaron Gately, said to me, it was like New Year's Eve, we should do rock camp. Like, they do it for women. There's ladies rock camp. Let's all sign up. We'll be a band. And like, okay. <laughs> and I had heard about rock camp in Portland, but I hadn't actually known anybody who went. It's an incredible program. We couldn't believe I mean, we were so blown away by that weekend. We formed a band with like other people we didn't know called the Toxic Sheilas, and we wrote a song and um, and we played it uh, at um, Satyricon. It changed our lives. Certainly, me and Aaron, we uh, we continued to play together, and we continued to go to rock camp. And um, then we were joined by my sister-in-law Natasha McDonald, and she plays the drums. And so we were a band, a three-piece band, and uh, we called ourselves Ruby Calling. And then I started volunteering at rock camp and teaching guitar to girls and seeing what rock and roll camp for girls did for girls in music just, you know, also blew me away just to see how they went in one week from not playing any music possibly or, or very little to becoming a band with other girls and writing a song and playing at that time we used to have the showcases at the Baghdad so going to this huge theater and playing rock and roll on the stage they were um the girls just got so much out of that and I think I also appreciated how it was an all-female environment and I think that allowed the girls to have a you know sort of let their hair down and not try to be impressing anybody but you know other girls and and I mean is is the word empowerment is that too simple is that too trite I, I believe that that word it gets thrown around a lot, but in the case of rock camp, um, 
it is 100% true. Um, just in my own case, I really never thought about playing electric guitar until I went to rock camp or I play the drums now. I never thought about playing the drums because when I was a kid, girls did not play the drums. I mean, it just wasn't done. I didn't know any girls who were even interested in playing any kind of percussion. And 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 now this then pivoted over to app camp for girls. Correct. I have been working in the software industry, mostly working on Mac and iPhone um, app development, um, primarily myself as a marketing and PR person. Uh, you know, I spent spend a lot of time at conferences with uh, uh, developers, and it it really is completely male. It's more than male dominated. It's almost male exclusive mm-hmm. at certain conferences. It's so I, really, I mean, parallel to the music industry in a lot yes, of ways. Very much so. Um, and I think that, yes, one, one day I was at this big Apple developer conference in San Francisco where that's 5,000 people from all over the world. That's, you know, like where Steve Jobs used to give his like keynote of here's what we're doing, you know, for the next year. And I was in this one, uh, session, a pretty big one. Cause I would say there are at least a thousand people in the room and I literally could not see another woman in the room from where I was sitting. I mean, I knew there were other women, there had to be, but it would be a handful. Mm -hmm. And that just made me go, you know, this is crazy. Like there's, I understand that girls, maybe people think they're not as interested in science and math, or maybe they aren't encouraged, or maybe, you know, the, I think ridiculous idea that they're just not biologically meant to do math well. Well, <laughs> Barbie told us <laughs> right. math is tough. Math is hard. <laughs> so, yes, surprise, there's no girls, you know, there's hardly any girls in the pipeline for these jobs, which are great jobs. I mean, to be a software developer nowadays, that's like, that's uh, uh, engaging, challenging, well-paying, usually f- kind of flexible, um, things that, you know, we want women to be able to do, support families and, and take care of their families and not be locked down either into one or the other role of working or staying at home. Mm -hmm. Software is a great way to go. And in this room, I didn't see it that, you know, from where I was sitting, another woman in the room. And I thought, well, whatever is going on here, because there are all these theories. Right. What if we just did something that got more girls exposed to it so they could see how much fun it is like rock camp (laughs) which is great i mean that's that's great that you're taking you know a a problem and not just being a problem observer (laughs) you know and and facebooking about it or complaining about it to friends but actually going and doing something so when was the first uh app camp for girls then well, the fir- it's funny you say that because the first thing I did was tweet about it. And I thought, yes, <laughs> somebody should start App Camp for Girls, you know, and that was like 2011. And by a year later, nobody else had said, OK, I'll do that. So I, I was pretty much uh, ready to, well, tackle the problem myself. And 2013, we did um, our first session here in Portland. Um, we started uh, at spring break in 2013 and did a kind of what we call now alpha camp, which is just with a few girls. Um, we did a one day workshop just to see if they were interested in what we thought we w- would be doing in the camp. Cause we, you know, we wanted them to be able to make an app that mm-hmm. they could use on the phone by the end of the day. How did you find, how did you find these girls? One thing I have found is that it hasn't been hard to find 
girls who are interested or parents who are interested in having their girls attend, all my big ideas about how we'd recruit girls have not really been so necessary because we've always gotten more applications than we have spots. And I, and and how many spots are there for each session? Uh, right now we're doing 12 girls per session. Okay. Um, and, and a session is how, how long? It's a week long. Okay. Uh, starting, you know, Monday morning through Friday afternoon. Uh, very similar to rock camp in um, some ways. Uh, of course, uh, software requires a higher level of precision than rock and roll. So we do, we, we can't be quite as like, oh, make whatever you want and it'll work on the phone, no problem, as right. we might say about a rock song. Um, so we start out... Um, Actually, on the first day, we do some brainstorming exercises just to get it in the, you know, their heads that they could come up with app ideas that could work. Um, because of the short format of the week, we can't just say, okay, let's go build that, you know, idea that they have. They usually have ideas that will, you know, take a few months or and maybe right, a few right. engineers, but we don't want to squelch them down into like something really, you know, so basic right right off the bat. And the idea is not to make them overnight millionaires. No. I mean, the idea is to make them millionaires in 10 years or it's it's yes. to plant the seeds so that they have the skills and the confidence to go make their second app. Exactly. And to be interested in learning how to code. Um, mm -hmm. We don't start with coding and we don't end with coding and we don't claim to teach them how to code in a week because if we did that, then yes, we'd be able to do some things that are interesting, but we want it to be super engaging and, you know, and create enthusiasm and, and also to get that sense of confidence, just like in rock camp, you played with your band at the Baghdad or Alberta Rose Theater, we say like you, you, your app is is on your iPhone now. I think that seeing something go from zero to finished is very important. This is the Nonprofit Hour. I am with Jean McDonald, who has who two years ago started the App Camp for Girls, and we're gonna talk about some of the specific apps that the girls have made at the camp in a moment. But uh, Jean, you brought in some music for us as well. Do you have a song to to um, play? Yes, uh, one song that I, I find myself continually going back to listening to is a um, recording by the Double Clicks, which is a Portland band, awesome sister duo that do geek geek music. Um, I can't recommend them highly enough. But last year they did a song that was a, a kind of a anthem for geek girls called Nothing to Prove. In other words, girls, you know, do get marginalized, not just in computer software, but also in the, you know, science fiction and nerd cons. You know, there's boys and men who will say, well, they're not real geeks because they haven't been reading all these comic books or they don't know about this particular character. And Nothing to Prove is exactly that. And it Honestly, it makes me tear up every time I hear it. So, well, I will hand over a hanky and let's give it a listen. I entered this scene through rejection and honesty. Nerds weren't mean, they were weird, and that worked for me. After 10 years of teasing, when social skills failed me, Dungeons and Dragons cured all that ailed me. We read books, we played games, we made art, we watched Lost, we said things like D20, shipping, and mana cost. It felt good to be myself, not being mocked, still self-conscious though. 
we whispered things about jocks. But one day you grow up, come into your own. Now geek's not rejection, it's a label I own. Then ignorant haters come to prove me wrong. Tell me I'm not nerdy enough to belong. I've got nothing to prove. I've got nothing to prove. I've got nothing to prove. That was the double clicks, and I am Phil Bussey. This is the nonprofit hour. We are with Jean McDonald, who runs the App Camp for Girls. And, and Jean, you were talking about uh, why this camp was necessary, that, that uh, programmers, designers, it's, large, it's a field that's, I mean, overwhelmingly dominated by, by men and by, uh, you know, like you were saying, sort of geeks. Um, <laughs> and you're hoping to create a, a fun, engaging uh, way to get girls interested. And, and so you've had, how, how many sessions now have you had of the app camp for girls? We've done, um, five sessions altogether, uh, five full, you know, 12 girls, one week sessions here in Portland. And also last summer we opened our first new location in Seattle. Oh, great. Um, in 2015, we've got two more new locations coming and, uh, we'll still be in Portland, of course. <laughs> Excellent. I, that's that's fun. I mean, so at this point, you've had sixty some girls you've trained, which is that's a small firm. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it kind of dawned on me at the end of last summer. Wow, sixty girls. Um, I've started to forget all their names, which you know, even though I would like to remember them all, it kind of tickles me. I'm saying like, wow, we've gotten big enough where we can't remember which girl was in which session, um, and. Uh, we follow up with them, you know, uh, we would like to keep track of how they're doing. And also, you know, we bring back girls for the summer from the previous summer now to intern. And so that's proving to be a really popular, you know, program as well. So we can work with some girls who are older as well. So, uh, for for parents or for girls that are out there listening, what are what are the parameters? Who who are we talking about? Is there a specific age group? Yes, um, specifically we are are limited to girls who are currently in seventh or eighth grade. So the ones who after the summer would be in eighth or ninth grade. Um, our goal is to um, to get to the girls before they go to high school. So um, which is the time when, when girls start to feel like either they're not interested or not good enough, not smart enough to do math and science. Um, we would like to short circuit that pattern and say, Ooh, you know, you are good enough and don't forget you've already built one app, which is more than pretty much all the boys in your, you know, technology class could say. And, and let's, let's talk about some of this. So have there have been five apps that have been built? Yeah, there, um, is that it? no no there's been 15 cuz we do each girl each group of girls 12 girls are broken into three groups of four okay and their team that we call them project teams and they have a project team manager that's kind of the equivalent of their camp counselor um who you know leads them through the process during the week of we build uh, a few apps a couple simpler ones just to get going and then um the last couple summers we have 
had a template for them to build their own quiz apps. Um, so kind of your, your tr typical internet quiz, <laughs> they can make up whatever they want and they do. Okay. Um, and you know, with like five questions, four answers for each question, the results get calculated a certain way. They do all the artwork, um, and they write all the content. Uh, this is Phil Bussey. It's the nonprofit hour. We're talking with Jean McDonald, who runs the app camp for girls. And I want to get back to a few of those specifics. So what, what coffee are you? Was that the app? <laughs> yeah, what coffee drink? What coffee you? drink are you? Uh, so it was sort of like a Meyer Briggs or what, what <laughs> color is your parachute? Exactly. You know, it would ask you some questions about things that you liked, your favorite stuff, and try to get your, um, get your, uh, you know, they would associate those with certain kinds of personalities, which they would label as a coffee drink. So I pretty much did get, uh, um, I got, you know, espresso shot, you know, something like just a pure little piece of energy, like no sugar, no, <laughs> no, no details. Just, and that's, that it's certainly what I drink. <laughs> and, uh, so the app works. Yeah. Um, one of, uh, another one that I really, uh, loved and was called what it was, the title of the quiz was, when are you? And so you would, you know, they would ask you some things like things that you liked and determine whether you, you should be living in the Victorian age or the seventies or, you know, another, uh, um, oh, I like era. That one. That's, that's, that's... And so that gave them a lot of space for creativity, you know, with, cause they do do a lot of artwork to go in the app and yeah, it was, a, nobody had thought of that before. Oh, interesting. No, that's, yeah. that's a really, that's a fun one. I mean, I, because it, it, it very, it's also a nice history lesson. Exactly. Gene McDonald, App Camp for Girls, and let's take one more music break. And you have you have another song that you wanted to recommend. Uh, yeah, um, this is a song called "My Hope" by Molly Lewis, who's a uh, geek musician uh, and ukulele player extraordinaire in Seattle. And uh, it's a good uh, commentary on social networks, and I, I think everybody should keep some of her lessons in mind. The years are going by so fast It really is bewildering And we'll be so-called grown-ups And have mortgages and children I hope we all gain worldliness And wisdom and maturity But I hope most of all That MySpace falls into obscurity I hope our profiles all go dead Entombed in distant servers A monument to our youth Although lacking its observers Your page will be an empty shell When no no one is behind it. I hope your MySpace stays forever. And I hope that your kids find it. How I hope that you forget about your MySpace. I hope it slips completely from your mind. And I hope it stays up long enough for the next generation to find. And I hope that it embarrasses your children. Hope their bratty friends will forward it around. And I hope that you forget your password so you cannot take it down. That was my hope, and I am here with Gene McDonald from the App Camp for Girls. I'm Phil Bussey. This is the Nonprofit Hour, and now, now, Gene, you're talking a lot about you've you've already worked with uh, 60-some girls and uh, interest them, engage them, taught them how to to build apps and. Uh, more broadly, how to be engaged in in a new industry, I, you know. And you've been talking about this as an industry that has largely been dominated by by men. Um, we skipped over the most obvious question: How did you get involved? Oh, <laughs> I um, 
Well, I did not do uh, computer science early. I mean, I took a class back when I was in college, but that's really before personal computers got going. Um, I And I'm interested in a lot of things, uh, but eventually when I moved to Portland, um, I had been working in book publishing, but when I moved to Portland, I started working in software publishing, so children's software specifically, um, and a startup my sister um, launched quite a while ago now that was eventually sold to Mattel, speaking of Barbie. And um, that was where I learned how to make web pages, and or I, I tried to learn, and I took some classes at PNCA here in Portland and eventually became a web designer full-time freelance um, and a teacher. So I taught web design for several years. Um, and then I, one of my clients was this small Mac software company. And, uh, when I started working with them, they had just launched their first product or first couple products. And then we, um, I just kept doing more work for them and eventually they hired me on full time and then made me a partner. And I did a lot of traveling and conference attending, you know, in the name of marketing and PR for this uh, company smile. Um, and that's, that's how I really got into it full time. And I, I went to Macworld. That was the first job that I ever did for them was just work at their booth. Mm -hmm. And um, after that first Macworld, I said, wow, I think it would be pretty cool to work in this Mac industry. The people, it was much more like friendly and creative than I was expecting from a, a, a software hardware conference. Um, there were a lot of women, a lot of families and kids and grandparents. So I was uh, pretty enthusiastic about the community, and I'm, I still am. It's an awesome community. The people who who love their Macs and love their iPhones—it's a special group. <laughs> um, you know, but by the time that these these girls hit the job market, most likely it, it will have uh, it will have moved on, or at least uh, evolved into something different. Yes, I mean it's almost certainly going to be different. You know, in five years and in ten years, um, we do actually. You know. I think this is one of the reasons that we don't focus on the code either is that, you know, Apple just released a whole new programming language this, you know, last uh, developer conference. So if you were all set to learn one, you really have to learn another one now. And that's mm -hmm. that's what programming is about, is learning how to learn the code, not learning just one particular language. Everybody who's successful and as a computer software engineer knows that they they should be able to pick up most programming languages fairly quickly and use them because they know how to think about programming. So um, at the end of the week, the girls put together a PowerPoint presentation about their app. Um, we have iPod Touches that, you know, are demo machines, and we invite women from the business community, entrepreneurs and investor, you know, angel investor type and um, also, you know, or from, you know, tech corporations to come in and listen to their pitches, essentially. So they pitch their app to, you know, these investors, entrepreneurs, and, and they, um, you know, answer questions. And we think it's just so important for them to get that experience of thinking about why is this app why would somebody want this app, and how are you going to get the word out? Oh, what and, a great exercise! Yeah, I mean, and just I mean, both for for apps and also just that ability to quote unquote sell yourself. It is the you know essentially what we do at Rock Camp at the end of the week is a showcase. You know, we we want the band to perform, and the band is their project team, and their song is their app, and instead of a big audience of uh, you know 
uh, family members, we actually bring in, you know, women to, and that they could also see that here's women who are business women, you know, and they have, you know, they understand business and they run businesses and they've started businesses. Um, again, like, you know, uh, my own example, if you never saw a woman drummer, you wouldn't know that women actually can drum. We were talking with Jean McDonald from App Camp for Girls. Uh, Jean, I just want to I want to finish up this discussion with with the question we should have maybe started with. Uh, this is the nonprofit hour. And what why is this a nonprofit? I mean, why why not just have it as a as a commercial endeavor? And I would also think that would that would open up some opportunities for uh, you know the commercial opportunities for for some of these apps as well. Why a non why why set it up as a nonprofit? I like I don't know I think it just has like again Rock Camp is a nonprofit. They could I mean there are for profit music camps, but Rock Camp works as a nonprofit. Um, we we kicked off the whole thing with a with a crowdfunding campaign um, to 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 pay for the costs of like the first summer and maybe administrative costs through the next summer. And uh, so our goal was to raise $50,000 and we raised $50,000 in three days. Wow. And we then went on to raise a hundred over a hundred thousand dollars. And that's from our community. And I like that. I mean, the community, we're making it possible for them also to contribute because all these guys, like 99% of the guys that I know are in favor of having more women in the field. And they would like to see this, you know, happen as well. And, and as we get older, a lot of my friends, they have daughters and they really changes your perspective. I think when you, you hear these stories of, you know, what, women have to go through in this male dominated industry and you picture your own daughter in that, that situation, you want to, you're motivated to, to make a change. Jean McDonald, thank you for coming in and, and talking with us. Uh, App Camp for Girls, if, if people want to find out more of it and upcoming spring break session and, and obviously the summer session. Mm -hmm. um, we, we are not doing a spring break session, but we are doing um, summer camp sessions in Portland, July 27th and August 17th, those weeks. Um, we will um, have registration a few months, you know, in the spring, the exact date, I can't tell you, but sometime in March. Um, and uh, we are at appcampforgirls.com. Um, if you have any questions, people can email us. That's a place where you can register your interest so that we contact you. We let you know. Um, we're also doing camps in Seattle and Vancouver, B.C. and uh, central New Jersey this summer. So uh, it'll be a really interesting and busy 2015. Well, congratulations on all the, on all the success and, and thank you for starting this camp. That's all from the Nonprofit Hour this week. We'd like to thank our guests, Jeff Hawthorne of the Regional Arts and Culture Council and Jean McDonald of the App Camp for Girls. You can now listen to previous episodes of the Nonprofit Hour on SoundCloud. Catch up on what you missed or revisit old favorites, like our episodes featuring the Community Cycling Center or Friends of Trees. This week's Nonprofit Hour was produced by me, Ann Kirkpatrick, with help from John Connolly. Shout out to our hosts, Julie Falk and Phil Bussey, and to the Media Institute for Social Change for making this show possible. This is X-Ray FM, where radio is yours.